Hello and welcome to the Blockchain and Us, where pioneers and thought leaders talk about their journey in blockchain technology, crypto assets, and the token economy. And I'm your host, Manuel Staggers. This episode is supported by 21 Lectures. 21 Lectures' mission is to bring more developers to the Bitcoin ecosystem with in-person courses. Lectured by world-renowned Bitcoin and Lightning developers, courses teach participants the fundamentals to work with blockchain technologies. To learn more, visit 21lectures.com. This episode has support from Core Ledger. Core Ledger is a blockchain-based peer-to-peer transaction infrastructure provider. It enables businesses to document, tokenize, and trade any type of assets in a reliable and flexible environment. Core Ledger makes anything transactable, literally anything. To learn more about Core Ledger's technology and how you can transform your business onto blockchain, visit coreledger.net. That's C-O-R-E-L-E-D-G-E-R.net. Coreledger.net. My guest today is Daniel Gasteiger. Daniel is the founder and CEO of ProCivis, which provides citizens' government-trusted digital identity solutions built around the safeguarding and self-sovereignty of personal data. He's also the co-founder of TrustSquare and the co-founder of Verum Capital. Before turning blockchain entrepreneur, Daniel has worked in major Swiss banks for more than 20 years, starting as an FX trader at Credit Suisse. And in his last role at UBS, he served as the managing director to the office of the chairman of the board. And now to the conversation with Daniel Gasteiger. Hi, Danny, and many thanks for taking time today. You're welcome. Danny, you've been part of the Swiss blockchain ecosystem with several projects, and um, your current project is ProCivis. So let's maybe first start with what ProCivis does. Um, ProCivis is basically a company that looks to help governments to digitalize, in, in short. So we are building solutions that help um, states, governments, even NGOs, to um, offer services to their um, constituents when it comes to building digital solutions, starting with digital identity, which is the foundational layer for anything to do with um, government services and any services online, basically. And from there, we build solutions to help them then digitalize existing processes, be it uh, digital um, registries, for instance, which is a typical use case for blockchain or um um, our strong vision is that e-voting eventually will be supported by um, solutions like ours. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you have any pilots that are already running? Um, we have been uh, going live with the first client last summer with Canton of Schaffhausen in Switzerland. They're using our digital identity platform since then. Um, we have basically since then also had other projects that we are supporting with the product that we developed. Um, among others, we work with the uh, Humboldt Institute in Berlin, where we build a, a base on our platform together with um, David Chom's random sample voting solution, uh, a prototype for um, online voting for the future, which we'll pilot this year, um, and other projects. A lot of projects all over the world that are actually looking to um, basically digitalize their identities for their citizens. Mm-hmm. What's the feedback that you're getting, you know, from these pilot projects and from the governments? Well, basically, we have obviously before we started studied um, what's going on in the world of e-government, and um, 
the inspiration we have basically has come from Estonia. Um, I've been in Estonia as part of a outreach program for my first company to find startups. And um, by chance, at the time, saw how a digital nation actually looks like. If you have a nation that is really digital, it starts basically having digital identity for every citizen that basically includes uh, digital signing services with um, um, as part of this offering so that you can actually digitalize the whole end-to-end -end, uh, service from the government with the citizens. So you don't have to go to a government office ever again. You can vote online. You can actually request services online. You can even do private sector services di directly with the digital identity from, from the government, i.e. the e-banking solution, for instance, in Estonia fully works off the identity issued by the government. And so with that, um, my interest started growing and um, I studied this together um, with um, with the University of Lucerne. We issued a, a, a study how that compares to what we're doing in Switzerland. And we quickly found out that um, a couple of basics need to be there. And that's how I started ProSeries, basically with, with this realization that it, it needs a bit digital identity before you can do anything else. And so that's how we then started building what is now ProSeries EID+. Plus. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But digital identity is not necessarily blockchain identity. No, and that's an important aspect. I think eventually, and anything I'm doing eventually leads to blockchain, but I think we are still at the very early days of blockchain. And so the first solution that we've built with Canton of Schaffhausen's digital identity service is uh, basically a simple cloud-based solution that leverages blockchain technology where it makes sense. And so we have built basically plugins to blockchain if you want for timestamping. We have built um, other um, services around that, but it's fully functional without blockchain. And I think not that we planned it like this, but at the moment, this is what helps us a lot. Because if you go to governments at the moment and you tell them all about blockchain, some governments are really interested because they are building on this hype and they are basically, a lot of governments try to issue um, a vision to attract startups, for instance, um, by saying we are a blockchain nation or we are a blockchain-based government, like in Dubai, this, for instance, is a big thing. The two years ago, they announced that they will be fully on blockchain by 2020. So they use this as a as an as a, a sign and this is a signal to the world about being very very um, innovative, but um, very little materialized so far because blockchain is too early. It's 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 not clear which blockchain eventually will will be the standard going forward. Obviously, the, the public blockchains like Bitcoin and Ethereum, they are the strong contenders, but there are some very, very interesting projects in the pipeline that had not been seen the light of of um, uh, of the world yet. And so it's it's questionable to actually start building on one blockchain at the moment as, as, a, as a government. So we can start by basically explaining what blockchain is, but offering a solution that is not yet dependent on um, a blockchain integration fully. So we are in the best of both worlds, if you want. Mm -hmm. Okay, interesting. I mean, many people criticize identity on the blockchain, right? Mm -hmm. And say it's not really feasible, nor is it desirable or, or necessary. So I think I think it's very good what you said, that some jurisdictions just jump on this for the marketing um, effect. But it's not necessarily the best way to roll out a solution like this. Mm -hmm. And blockchain... Basically, digital identity on blockchain is a misnomer because at least the people that do it uh, cleverly, they never put 
information on the blockchain that is, is readable or not even hashed. So basically you not have a digital identity on the blockchain, but you have what is called verifiers or proofs of an identity attribute on the blockchain. And that's how blockchain plays its part. So the data itself, it has to be decentralized. That's our vision. So ultimately to come to the point of a self-sovereign identity, which is the big topic so that you are are in full control of your data, that you are in full control of who you share this data with, and um, that you can basically own the data with just, without just giving it away. Self-sovereign identities like this, they will basically eventually work with blockchain technology, but that's it's a very complex project. It's a very complex vision, and um, that's not nowhere near to be solved. So identity on blockchain is a, is a, big, it's a big hype. But it's very little people understand how to do it properly because even further than just putting the data on it is, is people start manipulating with biometrical information. And I think that's absolutely uh, the wrong way to go because once you store something on a blockchain, on a public blockchain, and um, and you cannot basically delete it again, which is by definition what blockchain is all about, and you use biometrical information, then it's it's really the end game. Once this is lost, it's lost, and um, it's not at all the time yet to to do such things. I, I, I personally believe. What do you mean? Once it's lost, it's lost. If you have um, if you have a solution that depends on the biometrical information that is stored on the blockchain, and that somehow the way we do it, we have it on a smartphone. You have, you have your smartphone based identities or an app in the smartphone, and that connects to the blockchain for proofs, as I said before. And so if that information is somehow wrongly manipulated on, on the phone and it can get stolen or hacked, and even if it's just the proofs on the blockchain, um, it's gone and you cannot you cannot do it anymore. You cannot recover it anymore. And So somebody's identity is gone. Yes. Okay. And not that's directly... Not a, not a good outcome. No, that's not what, um, what I suggest to do. And I think, anyway, it's too early to really go by, by this heavy personal relevant information uh, scenarios with the blockchain. That's kind of mm -hmm. how I see it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, interesting. I mean, you just mentioned one of the misconceptions, you know, people have about identity on the blockchains, that, you know, once it's lost, it's lost. The immutable ledger may not be the best solution. Um, then another one with data, you said, the storage on the blockchain of lots of data is also not really feasible. What are other misconceptions people have about, you know, a blockchain identity? I think in general, the, the, after now, the hype that we have seen over the last, I'd say, one and a half years, um, now it's come down a lot over the last, say, nine months, um, is that blockchain solves everything for everybody. When in reality, we really have only seen the beginning. As I said earlier, it's kind of obvious to me that we are still at the beginning, that these blockchains that have been generation one, i.e. blockchains like Bitcoin or Ethereum, Personally, I don't think they make enough progress at the moment. And there's a lot of of what comes with the fact that it's an open source project with no central authority to actually dictate what the next release looks like. But um, it needs to have a lot of consensus involved by definition. Um, these things are typically slow. They're stable. This is like the Swiss political system. If you have a decentralized setup to actually govern, like we have here, uh, it is typically slow. But once it's decided upon, it's typically um, stable and then, and ultimately um, in a, in a compromise way developed a solution. So this is exactly what we see with blockchain. But we have been hearing now for years to 
the scalability issue, for instance, around Bitcoin or around Ethereum now as well, uh, is being addressed by Lightning Networks or, or uh, the, the latest releases of Ethereum that should basically go from proof of work to proof of stake. All these things are so slow and people believe start to lose a little bit the belief that this is eventually happening. And so that's one of the misconceptions, I think. And um, if that's not picking up and substantially resolves itself, I believe there's going to be new protocols coming along that will have totally new architectures. And I'm not a technologist myself, but um, from what I hear, um, there's totally new architectures in place that have no scalability issues. Plus, that's the open protocols, plus all the private protocols like what we've seen with Hyperledger and other things that are not directly dependent on a public consensus pro protocol um, will be basically taking over. And so then it's, it's, it's going to be probably a slow death for some of these early blockchains that are out there. And that would be a shame because it's, it's obviously, especially Ethereum is now being widely used for dApps and um, ICOs have been running with these tokens on, on Ethereum. So it would be obviously a big shame to see that all lost because of, of, of not enough progress and um, people moving on to the next, uh, the next more evolutionary um, blockchain coming out. Let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about Trust Square, another, another project of yours. So can you, can you describe maybe what, what Trust Square is doing? Yes. Uh, Trust Square basically, the current version of Trust Square uh, started just a year ago in April 2018. It um, developed out of a vision that I had since the very beginning when I left banking and became an entrepreneur to have a blockchain hub here in the center of Zurich because I believe the topic of blockchain Obviously, the, the whole aspect around financial services with blockchain, cryptocurrencies and, and other solutions that are basically developing out of this blockchain vision um, need to be at the heart where the financial center is. And that's here in Zurich and that's here at Bahnhofstrasse. And that's why we basically opened Trust Square here at this, at this place. I was here with Procevius in this building before um, we started at the co-working space. And then I heard about this Vaupe Bank that was in here moving out and I thought this is a nice spot for the startup hub that we planned anyway. And so we basically got together four friends and me to build this trust square out of nothing. We had a vision or I had a vision a long time ago already two years earlier to build something like this uh, together with the Canton of Zurich. We did a pro uh, we did a, um, basically a feasibility study to do it. It originally was planned to do this at the Innovation Park outside of Zurich. Um, that didn't materialize. So when this thing came about with this co-working space that we could do here, we just did it and we started it here at, um, at this location. Our goal is basically... As you say, it's a startup ecosystem. It's consisting of co-working space. For now, we have about 350 desks that we rent to startups in the blockchain space. Um, that is combined together with our academic partnerships, which is very important to us. So we combine the startups together with the academia to actually work together because it's it's um, mutually interesting to to work together. Like for for instance. With Procevis, I worked with the University of Zurich on e-voting as a, as a master thesis of two students there. And there's many other projects in the building that are working with ETH and Uni of Zurich and, and so forth on projects. And so that's another pillar for Trust with the academic partnerships. And then the third pillar, which basically um, originates with my first company, Nexosquid, is kind of the community aspect where we do meetups and a lot of academic workshops and so forth so that we actually not only 
internally in Trust Square work with um, among each other, but also invites the public to come and learn. And I think one of the biggest topic at the moment still is actually the misconceptions about blockchain and what it is really all about. And so if you do meetups where you explain, be it um, what these different projects are doing, be it what um, what um, protocols are all about or academic research and how this will eventually go and change that big topic that everybody seems to be still talking about, like the energy consumption of, of Bitcoin. And you educate people, especially the people in the financial center here, um, you eventually get hopefully much more um, acknowledgement for what it's really about and not that simplistic view on this topic that is still commonplace in the banks, especially. And so that's another aspect. So that the community aspect where we actually educate and um, invite people to come and learn. Mm -hmm. Cool. And you just mentioned it, you know, banks, because we're really surrounded by banks right here. I mean, opposite the street is the Swiss National Bank. Next uh, to us is a, a very, very big Swiss bank. So it's not just near the banks, it's right next to them. Mm -hmm. Do you have like a lot of interaction with these guys on a daily basis? Well, I personally have a lot because I obviously have been in banking for more than 20 years and my friends, that's the people I invite to come and learn and listen. And um, some of them are proactively come to me because they're looking for, like I did four years ago, looking for an alternative second part of their career outside of the classic traditional financial center. And so they come and learn and have coffee and drink and um, talk to us about what they could do in that space as well. So there's a very active engagement. Formally, we have no really, um, no real engagement with the classic financial center yet because it's still too scary. Uh, I think on a very um, senior level, people still don't understand what blockchain is all about. And then there was this whole issue around ICOs where banks are very critical still. And companies that are doing ICOs are not welcome to be clients of banks, for instance. And so there's this, there's still a knowledge gap um, between classic old school financial services and the new world that we are actually representing here, as you said, across the National Bank. But informally, we have a lot of engagement with with also the National Bank, for instance. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. You just mentioned your, your own background in banking and, and you've been a banker at uh, Credit Suisse and UBS, I believe, in the past. Yep. How, I mean, and, and you mentioned at some point you wanted to do something else. Mm -hmm. how, how did this transition occur, you know, from banking into the blockchain space? Um, well, it was pretty simple. I, I guess... I was thinking of my second half. So I was turning 40 and I was thinking about my second half of my career. I had a um, pretty successful career at UBS, um, previously at Credit Suisse. I achieved what I wanted to achieve in a banker's career. I mean, frankly, I didn't really see much future for me. I was at a very, very nice position in my last job and I didn't know where to go from there. So, But I knew that I always wanted to be an entrepreneur as well. I just didn't know what to do. I just didn't have that, that sort of... of spark of an idea and so I went and went to look for this spark and I went to California for a study trip personally took some time out and um, went there for three weeks and then there was this topic blockchain in 2015 um, it just um, happened to coincide with the, ta the time I wanted to do something on my own I went there without a view I came back with um, a strong vision around this topic with me being part of it, then basically, as I said earlier, it's kind of been obvious to me that something needs to happen here in Zurich. Because at the time already, it was already happening in Zug, where basically the home, I would say, of crypto 
um, Ethereum and Ethereum and, um, and other there. companies were there already, Bitcoin, Swiss. And um, but for me, it was obviously I would not want to move to Zug in the first place. And so secondly, with my background, I was also a foreign exchange trader. So obviously that's very close to cryptocurrencies, but I never really was interested in the topic of cryptocurrencies. And um, I really always ever saw the background of the top technology and what it will do to society, the decentralization of business models. So I started in, in fall 2015 with my first venture together with a colleague, which was called Nexo Squared. And from there it went. I it remember. Went. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we made an interview back then at yes, the very, exactly. very beginning. Yeah. yeah. So it all started with Nexosquared. Uh, through that, coincidentally, I traveled Europe and, as I said earlier, went to Estonia, found this topic of e-government, combined that with this vision of blockchain. And through that, then we started um, building this Procevis company. And then with that, I basically started talking to the government. And through the government, I had this idea of this blockchain hub in Zurich. And so we started TrustSquare. And so it's a natural evolution of everything I've done since I basically got involved in, in this topic of blockchain. Let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. This episode is supported by 21 Lectures. 21 Lectures' mission is to bring more developers to the Bitcoin ecosystem with in-person courses. Lectured by world-renowned Bitcoin and Lightning developers, courses teach participants the fundamentals to work with blockchain technologies. 21 Lectures covers cryptography, the structure of transactions and blocks and how they are chained, smart contract language, the Lightning Protocol, as well as software and toolkits to develop on top of the blockchain and Lightning. To learn more, visit 21lectures.com. This episode has support from Core Ledger. Core Ledger is a blockchain-based peer-to-peer transaction infrastructure provider. It enables businesses to document, tokenize, and trade any type of assets in a reliable and flexible environment. Core Ledger makes anything transactable, literally anything. With Core Ledger's highly dependable, fast-to-implement products, businesses can reduce costs and improve processes. Individuals can benefit from the full ownership of their own assets and make transactions directly with another party. To learn more about Core Ledger's technology and how you can transform your business onto blockchain, visit coreledger.net. That's C-O-R-E-L-E-D-G-E-R.net. Coreledger.net. Switzerland has been in this blockchain space for quite a while, you know, and and a few years ago, I think some people here started to focus their energy on building some institutions, some, you know, associations to, to promote Switzerland and also strengthen Switzerland, create a dialogue with the regulator and, and all that. Um, in your view, you know, how, how successful have these efforts been? I think overall very successful. I think obviously Crypto Valley is a brand that is globally recognized. As I said, it started in Zug. There's been a lot of activity in Zug early on, and that's why also the government of Zug basically, I guess, got on board with this topic and this vision because also Zug um, economic um, center needed some vision for the future, and I think they were very clever seeing this opportunity with blockchain technology, supporting that, and um, that's that's been very beneficial. From there onwards, I would say we have seen a lot of movement also in the academic space. ETH had a lot of very famous researchers on board that also came from the from the from the Bitcoin environment, for instance. And then we had a lot of 
um, players like the Bitcoin Association here in Switzerland that has been very early on. It's, a, I think, one of the biggest in the world, um, very actively supporting the ecosystem together with, I think, together with Lucas, my friend, we always kind of built parallel events. So he did the technical side. I did in Zurich the more the business side of things with our events and so complemented each other. And from there onward, it exploded basically. And um, that's where I get a bit more critical. I think people lost a little bit track on the sustainable way of building something and just basically jumping on a hype. And so this ICO hype that started in early 2017, I personally am not so a big fan of this because I think it did a lot of damage as well now in hindsight because a lot of people and a lot of my former bankers colleagues as well that didn't do this proactively but they lost their jobs and all of a sudden they were seeing an opportunity for themselves because they probably didn't find another job on jumping on this bandwagon and selling services to startups just because they were a banker for, for some time they believed that they are now also advisors in the crypto blockchain space and they're there was a big uh, development from very questionable people that were getting involved and um, frankly that um, didn't have anything to offer than some some questionable background. And I basically believe that's that's not been very good for the ecosystem. Um, we also have seen some cases of, of, of questionable businesses that were built, questionable models of businesses that were, that were heavily pushed, like the the model around um, just incorporating a foundation in Switzerland and raising some money and then wherever in the world spending that money. That's not something that I think is, is in the long run very, very, very sustainable. And so there, it was a bit of a problem. And that's also one of the reasons why I was never, despite my background, never involved in the crypto community in that sense, because I'm not interested in the crypto currency speculation um, element although obviously we also have done an ICO ourselves and I don't I actually think it's a very good thing in the long run especially for early stage startups to raise capital but the way it went the way it exploded it was not not healthy and that could potentially have some uh, long-term repercussions on the overall system, um, system. Mm -hmm. and I think just before you mentioned the way you did your ICO it was a very different compliance yeah. approach right yes yeah, that was very important obviously we are in the business with governments and if you do an ICO and have government clients you cannot risk to have some sort of an issue so from the beginning we said we need to do this the absolute golden standard way so we went and um, basically uh, we were probably the first one that actually got a, um, a self-regulated status with um, one of the Swiss financial services self-regulation organization VQF. Uh, we then also did not only uh, some of the investors, but every single one uh, investor. We did full KVAC and the email checks, and um, um, we have gone through a couple of, of audits now with, with our... Um, and, and picture ID as well, right? Everything, video yep. authentication, everything. Wow. So cool. what people at the very beginning didn't even start doing, or with some, some simple online forms to fill in and with your declaration of funds, we did the other, the other extreme and we had video calls all over the world with people in India and in Philippines and wherever people were investing from, which was painful. People didn't like that because they, not, they were not used to it. But in hindsight, it really proved to be the only way to do it because frankly, in, in this business, you cannot be uh, involved in anything that is not totally transparent. And um, the way we did it, we ultimately 
Again, it was a bit more sustainable, I think, because we also turned down a lot of money um, from the money that we could have ra raised for some questionable um, uh, people that were basically into a big discount. So you could basically drop afterwards um, your coins on the market and stuff like that. We took basically took a totally different approach. And we also didn't do the big marketing on you know, Facebook ads and the stuff that is now forbidden. All of these things we didn't do. So with that, we had a little bit more of an effort. We had a little bit less money in the end, but um, now we are actually recognized as one of the most sustainable projects because we are actually delivering what we were promising to people that really, not all, but most of them believed in what we're actually also selling as a vision for this project. Yeah, that sounds like a very good approach. And so from that experience, having built a sustainable way of doing an ICO that has been recognized, we then built also a company, my third company that is now, um, uh, um, that I'm a co-founder co for is called Verum Capital. We basically took that process that we developed for our project Vetri and institutionalized this as a service. So basically we went and this, this uh, basically the vision was to sell a proper ICO advisory service basically building around the experiences we made uh, that now evolved into much more. It's evolved into a real advisory business uh, for banks. And so banks that don't understand the world of ICOs that have clients coming to them on, on asking for bank account opening, they come to us now for due, to doing due diligence on these projects. And these projects sometimes obviously then realize that they are not whatever developed enough on the business side. They don't have the token economics under control. So we are advising these startups as well. And so This is now turned into something that we consider um, a M&A boutique. So basically distressed assets, which there are a lot of them, a lot of startups that failed that have done ICOs now are out there and um, are potential opportunities to be combined or merged with other companies that are probably a bit more successful and together they can still fulfill the, the vision that they had because there are a lot of ICOs that were there that had a good vision, but probably not the right team or probably not the right time. And this can be this can be an interesting space to enter as well in order to kind of consolidate that that um, that marketplace. Okay, interesting. So in in you know from leaving the banking world, it took about three years to have three companies for you. How did you learn how to run these companies? Um, learning by doing, I would say. Obviously, having been in the business for a while and learning a little bit on on a corporate level how to run projects, which is something I was also involved in in some of my uh, career. Um, so having a structured approach, I also studied that element. So business engineering, I did some studies. I have obviously had some experience in how to run projects. And so building a startup is like running a project. Obviously need a bit more than that, but um, that's how it's done. And that's why I think is we are a rather senior team here at Procevius from people mainly from the financial center with experiences in banks and um, financial services. And that obviously is helpful. And then combined with the tech team that is ultra, ultra strong and ultra visionary, that's I can kind of think the secret sauce. You cannot have just the tech. You need to have some business experience, especially if you have a project that is, is on a strong growth rate, which we are basically, and which is basically the, the latest of my learnings is whole investment the whole investment side of things. If you raise capital through a normal equity round and stuff like this, talking to investors and VCs and all these things, that's where I learned a lot over the last six months because that's a foreign world to me. And um, frankly, not something I'm particularly enjoying. 
I would rather build my business than going to raise capital, which but is part of the deal. And that's what, what we did. And that's what we thank God successfully completed just now. And so, but um, you just learn it. And then you need to add the right resources to the different growth levels that you're going through and help have a team, assemble a team that is, is ultimately capable of, of running such a business. Mm -hmm. Of course, you're right that running a project is running a project, you know, be that a bank or somewhere else. But still, you know, these are blockchain startups. It's, it's kind of a different universe a bit. So what are maybe things that were unexpectedly different? Still? I mean, the one tip I give everybody that wants to become an entrepreneur is don't underestimate the time it takes for whatever, for building a product, for building a client base for finding your first client for eventually now the experience with this fundraising, how long it takes to actually go through a process of um, fundraising. Um, everything takes always longer you believe and that's, I'm not different, that you have super product that everybody will just want to buy. So in our case with governments is even worse. It's not something that you do sell quickly. You need to, especially in governments like here in Switzerland, where it's very decentralized, you have to talk to cantons and stuff like this that are not so advanced, certainly not when it comes to blockchain, especially other than Zug, who is obviously known for this. Um, it takes a lot of time to explain, to, 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 to do the whole sales cycle and then to sell itself and then to build projects and pilots. And that's a long time that you need to be able to survive. So it's a question of money, not running out of money. And then going through running, Uh, going through the, the financing side, it also takes a lot of time because, um, always, again, the same situation. You believe you have the product, you have the client, and now everybody wants to buy your equity. It's not that. It's just <laughs> they see every, every day so many very good ideas, like people like me, they believe they have the best ideas in the world since sliced bread, and um, the VC people will just jump on it, or private equity people, or some blockchain funds that are desperate to invest in blockchain. But also there, it takes a lot of time, a lot of, lot of, lot of explanation, especially if you, if you have a more exotic business like ours. And so I'd always say, don't trust the time that it's, it's so quick that you, how you actually see it um, in your own plans. And so add double, mm. then you're on the safe side. Mm -hmm. Okay. You just mentioned that, you know, time is maybe one thing that people underestimate also the interest for, for someone's idea. Um, you see a lot of projects here at Trust Square and also, you know, in other events or wherever you look where, where you may be involved. What, what do you think are certain things most of them could do to immediately raise their profile and have more success? Um, I think one of the things I learned in my old job um, about doing professional job is communications. It's very important to actually start with proper communication plan for everything you do because in these days, this is true obviously in our private lives for the people that are on social media or, or um, promoting themselves on on. on on anything online, it's, the internet doesn't forget. And so if you have a plan and you have a communication strategy attached to this plan, make sure that's consistent because people will always come back to what you've said last month or what you said last year. And they compare that, especially in investment rounds as well. You need to have a consistent plan. You need to deliver on what you communicate about and you need to communicate uh, very professionally. So uh, this is what I always started 
with any company that I started is basically starting to think through what do I communicate when so that it doesn't haunt me sometime in the future. Don't announce to the world that you do this and that and this and then deliver only half of that, but the other other way around. And then that's a very good strategy to build credibility, to build um, trust, be it with clients or be it with investors. Again, that's very important. Um, it's You cannot go back to wrong communication. Once it's out there, it's out and um, it's very difficult to correct. Mm -hmm. Okay. Did you have any mentors or role models when you got started as an entrepreneur? Um, I have some friends um, that are entrepreneurs for a long time um, that basically helped me with basic questions. And still today, I mean, every day a new question comes up as an entrepreneur, what tools to use when it comes to HR or what tools to use when it comes to sales and stuff like this. So that's that's very important as an entrepreneur that is not had any experience with that before that you have some people that you can ask also when it comes to financing you have to have a network of people that you can go to and just fall back on uh, mentors i have basically with with Procevis, we've built an ex external advisory team that basically helped me grow the vision for the company one was um and this is a friend of mine um one of the estonian um, people that built this, what is called the e-residency program, Kaspar Korios. He's um, uh, now a dear friend and um, a trusted resource for me to build the vision for Procevis, uh on a global scale because what they've done is just amazing. And so that's a very good thing to have. And then other more, more advanced entrepreneurs or more advanced also professionals. Some of my former bosses are mentors to me that um, I fall back on. And now we have basically a proper board of directors that um, basically help us build this company to the future. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. If, if you look back on, on your career, you know, as at the banks, but also as an entrepreneur, um, is there anything you do differently if you could do it over? The whole career? Hmm? No. No, I think... I did exactly the right thing. Um, I was um, not planning it, but um, I always had a plan. I always had basically a five-year vision for myself, be it um, what roles I would like to do, be it what sort of um, position I would like to be in, be it the promotions. Um, basically, that was a plan that I always had, but it was like a more um, a red string, as we say in German, to the career rather than a fixed plan. So that you always need to know where you want to go and then be flexible at going there and then that's kind of good enough and so the same thing with my companies now i always had a plan to kind of build something around this topic of blockchain and then one thing next led to the next thing and i obviously have also a plan now which i will not reveal but um you have to have a bit of a vision to to get to a point if you have no no vision where you want to get to you end up somewhere else and so that's kind of that's kind of it yeah you have to have some sort of a basic plan but you cannot change it sorry you cannot change it you cannot fully plan it and um from that perspective i would not change anything in my in my professional career if if there was one thing you know that you think should change in the blockchain space in general, you know, or in Switzerland specifically, what would that be? I think, again, it needs to become a little bit more professional still. It's still too many people involved that I also look at it like this when it comes to blockchain um, personalities. What have they ever done personally? Risking some own money. What have they done building an own product that um, 
can be basically shown to somebody, but have they done developing a vision for this topic? A lot of them, if you ask them, so what is your experience hands-on with the technology? Personally, they experience developing something or having a team built that is developing something. Or what is your actually contribution to the ecosystem What other than just basically charging some fees for some consultancy? Or what is your, your personal vision behind the blockchain in 20 years? And there's going to be a lot of people that really have no good answers to these questions. And so that's the people that I would like to see going away. And the people that really... And um, again, I'd have one example there, um, Lucas from the Bitcoin Association, who's done this for free since the beginning, he's built up together with others, this Bitcoin Association, which was always an open community for everybody to come and learn and to, to attend. And really from that, built his own um, company, um, or is now basically a very, very regarded, trusted personality in that space. These are the people you should look to. These are the people that you should basically orientate yourself on because it's as much as it's um, a business, obviously, that we are all in. This is not about um, just the vision. And there's almost too much vision sometimes also in blockchain. There's this whole hype, the origin hype of taking down all the governments and taking down all the banks, all this anarchistic stuff. It's also ridiculous. And I think there's the balance between um, the professional people that are just looking at this topic as a money opportunity versus the other ones that just have this this naive um, belief that everything will just be decentralized and we will be basically peer-to-peer -peer, um, in everything we do is also um, ridiculous. So the balance somewhere in between is, is I think, what, what needs to be more advanced as well. And so the blockchain ecosystem, the, the whole, be it global, uh, be it here in Switzerland, needs to professionalize more. What's next for you in the coming years? Uh, my biggest project, obviously, is Prosimis. I want to go global, and we are going global with, with what we are doing. We have a lot of projects in the pipeline that um, that are materializing as we speak. We want to build e-voting. That's my personal vision. I want to build an e-voting platform that actually um, helps as well Switzerland. We are going through a bad patch with e-voting in Switzerland at the moment with the solutions that are out there. Uh, I want to build something that is really working for the future um, because I think well, one vision is to export uh, the identity and the government services that governments can use uh, in the future. But another vision is to export also our democratic system and help the world that is more and more extremist to come back to to really governments that are really democratically um, authorized and counter that that trend a little bit that um, that we see at the moment with, with more people becoming more extreme because they don't feel they are hurt anymore in the governments and um, and the elitist um, governments that are out there basically becoming more radical um, and kind of bring that back to a normal more normal Swiss way of doing um, political systems and democratic democratic systems and so i believe that's a strong vision for Procevis that we basically help through technology building more democratic systems through tools that we develop okay good danny this was great i really enjoyed the conversation and thanks a lot for taking time thank you thanks so much for joining us today more info on our guests and our sponsors is in the show notes of this episode and on the podcast website theblockchainandus.com To help people find this podcast, it's important that you download, subscribe and give it a top rating and review on iTunes or on the podcast platform of your choice. I'm Manuel Staggers and I thank you very much for listening.